to see some new faces as well. For those of you that don't know, um, my formative years were here at Sunbridge. My parents got saved as teenagers and they went home to be with the Lord from this place as well. So they were spent their lives serving the Lord at Sunbridge. So it's always a joy to come back and fellowship and uh, it's lovely to share with you tonight. So uh, thank you, Corinne, because I think it'll link in hopefully as we go through the word together if you've got a bible if you want to follow or jeff's going to follow us i think hopefully we're in luke 24 um if you're expecting proverbs i apologize but pastor phil did say <laughs> that it's easter and we could we look at easter so um i'm going to pick up from uh, verse 10 and um Oh, let's, actually, let's go back to verse uh, 8. It says that they remembered his words and they returned from the tomb and they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles and their words seemed to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and he ran to the tomb and stooping down he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed marvelling to himself at what had happened. Now behold, two of them were travelling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was when they conversed and they reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk? And are sad. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to them, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since, the, since these things happened. And certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb earlier, earlier astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him, Jesus, they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and, and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone further but they constrained him saying, Abide with us for it is towards evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them and it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And so they arose up that very hour and they returned 
to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together and they were saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So we'll stop there at this moment in time and hopefully just as we just shared a few thoughts together on this passage, we'll see something tonight of the incredible personal interest and care of Jesus with us, his children. But also at the same time we see something of the majesty and sovereignty of God who holds all things in his hands and who controls all events and is bringing about his plans and his purposes and that nothing can shake what is that plan and purpose of God. And because of that, you and I can have tremendous hope in Jesus. And actually, in an uncertain world, no great security in him because our lives are secure in him and uh, we can trust him absolutely for our lives. On, on the, the resurrection day, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. Uh, we touched on that on the earlier reading, and it's covered in John's Gospel. And uh, Mary was one who had been wonderfully saved from a, a horrendous past and, and had a deep love for Jesus and was heartbroken at the fact that he'd, he died and, and, and seeing the cross and, and the crucifixion and, and the way that the Lord had died and the injustice of Jesus' death, she was broken. But Jesus wonderfully came alongside her and, and met her at that point of need and, and ministered to her that day. And then as we just read in that last couple of verses there, he'd met Peter as well that day. And um, the other disciples, when they got back, they they'd forgive me ladies, but they'd struggled to believe the ladies when they came back from the tomb. But when Peter returned and told them that he'd met Jesus, then they were convinced that Peter had met Jesus. But isn't it wonderful? You've got Mary, whose heart was broken out of deep love, but you've got Peter, whose heart was broken because he denied Jesus on that day. Peter, who only a short while earlier when he was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, was prepared to stand up and fight and cut off the ear of one of the high priest's servants. And yet Peter, who just a, a short while later, without Jesus, was vulnerable and couldn't even stand when a, a servant girl or a young girl was questioning him about whether he was one of the disciples. And, um, and you know, just to encourage us, that what a lesson there is to us there, that when we're with Jesus, when we're walking in fellowship with him, we are strong. And we can stand against the challenges of the enemy. Thomas was another disciple. I, I, I love Thomas. Again, you've touched on Thomas in, a, in a, a doubting Thomas. We all know him, don't we, as, as doubting Thomas. The one who, until he saw Jesus, wouldn't believe. And yet, in, in John 11, when Jesus was preparing to return to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead, we find Thomas saying, well, the, the disciples that tried to dissuade Jesus from going back, but Thomas says, well, Let's go with him. And if necessary, we'll die with him. But we'll go with Jesus back to Bethany. And we'll, when we're with him, we feel secure. We'll trust him. And then you get him in contrast after Jesus' death, before he's seen him again, questioning and doubting. And um, 
completely uncertain until I see him, until I can put my fingers in the nail prints in his hand and the, see the, where the sword pierced his side. I, I won't believe that Jesus is risen. And again, the same principle, that reminder to us and that encouragement to us, we must stay near today to Jesus. We must hold fast to him because when we're aware of his presence, when we're conscious of him, when we're looking to him, we can stand against all the wiles and challenges of the enemy. But when we're on our, in our own strength, we're vulnerable and we're weak. And then as we've just read, we, we come to the remote road of, uh, to Emmaus and we see Cleopas and his travelling companion. Who'd, and they've been with the apostles over the uh, Passover weekend without wanting to read into the story too much, but now somewhat disillusioned. We were hoping that Jesus was the Messiah. Past tense. Perhaps wanting to get away from Jerusalem, the tension, the pressure of what was going on, the uncertainty that was there, the fear that the disciples had that the, the chief priests and leaders would come after them having taken Jesus' life, heading back to Emmaus, heading out, heading home, sad and disillusioned and uncertain of what the future would be. And conscious, yes, that some have had said that they'd met angels who told them that Jesus was alive and would meet them in Galilee, but losing hope, doubting the resurrection. The... Resurrection, and I think Pastor Phil was speaking on the, the, the resurrection this morning without knowing what he was saying, is, is it's just absolutely fundamental to our faith, isn't it, as Christians? With, without the resurrection, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. Without the resurrection, the Christian faith as we know it, would, would never have happened. It would have died quickly after the death of Jesus. But of course, what the resurrection proves is that the Lord's life poured out for us, his blood shed for us, was sufficient to pay the price for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When Jesus offered his blood, his sinless life, to the Father, in payment for our sins, God accepted it. And Jesus was raised from the dead. And so we rejoice today and we stand on the truth of that, that God has accepted us. That when we put our trust in Jesus, when we accept his gift of life, his death on our behalf, his substitutionary death for us, paying the price for our sins, that we have fellowship with him and we will be with him for eternity. We can trust absolutely in that. So it was crucial that the guys understood the resurrection. And in this chapter, we see then Jesus now with Cleopas and, and his companion, Jesus drawing out from them, firstly, where they were at. But then wonderfully, opening the word of God to them. He'd been teaching them before his death, but they'd not really been listening. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want it to happen. Peter challenged. Peter rebuked Jesus and said, Lord, 
you can't die on a cross when Jesus was explained to the disciples that he would die and three days later be raised. Jesus had warned them that when the shepherd is struck, the sheep will be scattered. And now we're seeing that on this third day. It's a time of great rejoicing in one sense, but at this moment in time, the the disciples were unsure. They didn't know. They'd not seen the risen Lord. And, um, and they'd struggled to believe what they'd heard thus far. But Jesus meets with Mary. He meets with Peter physically. And now on the road he meets with Cleopas and his partner. But before he reveals himself to them, he explains how the scriptures are all about him. From Genesis to Malachi, really, at this stage, isn't it? Because we didn't have the New Testament at this stage. But how the Old Testament scriptures, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, spoke of Jesus and about his coming and his gift of life for us today. And I, I don't know about you, but I would, have, I would love to have been in that Bible study and listen to Jesus expound the scriptures and just go through the scriptures. Take the, these guys through, through the, the Mosaic law and the sacrifices and explain to them how they point forward to the day when Jesus would come and would give his life and lay down his life. And then when we get to Hebrews further on, we see just as the writer to the Hebrews inspired by the Holy Spirit explains it, we see the completeness and perfection of the sacrifice of Jesus against the shadow that we saw back in the Mosaic law, how Jesus completely fulfilled. We haven't time to read it tonight, but if you want to read it in your own time, read Hebrews 9, 23 to 28. And Hebrews, in fact, let me read Hebrews 10, 11 to 14. But they just show that to us. Hebrews 10, 11 says, Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time waiting till his enemies are made a footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified i think we should all say hallelujah to that by one sacrifice jesus has perfected forever those who are being sanctified jesus has mine i put my trust in jesus i am saved eternally i have an assurance in my heart as as i'm sure most if not all of you do that one day when you leave this earth you will go to be with Jesus and your life is secure and safe in him and you will be with him for eternity. But let me, let me just give you a few scriptures, not necessarily how, how Jesus explained the, the scriptures to them because I'm going to pick some out of the New Testament and the Old. But again, just to remind us, just to affirm afresh, there were no accidents at Passover when Jesus died. But it was the plan and purpose of God from before the foundation of the world, that this would happen. And God was in control at every stage. Jesus' life was not taken from him. Jesus laid down his life out because of his love for us. What does 1 John 4 verse 10 say? And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation 
for our sins. The, the cross, Calvary, as we remember it, is the greatest demonstration ever that God could have given of his love for us, of his desire to fellowship with fallen man, of his longing to be at one, in one with us, in fellowship with you and I. And not just for now, but eternally. God yearns to fellowship with us so much that he would send his own son who would come humbly to this world ultimately to lay down his life for us. So let me give you a few scriptures. Revelation 13.8 speaks of the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1, Peter writing his, his epistle, in verses 18 through to 21, says, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, foreordained before the foundation of the world. We, we can't understand all of that, but God, knowing that he was going to create man with all the faculties and abilities to reason and to think and choose as he did, made us and knew at that time that he would ultimately have to send his son to reconcile us back to him, to pay the price for our sins, to bring us into that living fellowship with him. Again, Paul in Ephesians speaks of the blessing of being children of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, even as he chose us in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation, again, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The cross was God's will, it was God's purpose. The timing was God's, will, God's timing. In Matthew 26, in the first five verses of, of Matthew 26, Jesus says um, that he will be killed and crucified on the Passover. In verse five of that chapter, the high priest said, well, we don't want to take Jesus during the feast because there are too many people around. It'll cause far too much of an uproar. We'll do it after the feast has happened. But it was God's plan and God's purpose that it would be at the time of Passover. Again, you know, looking back, we see back into the Old Testament and we think of when the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt and the Passover was instituted and celebrated in the picture that we have right back in Exodus of the Redeemer, of God redeeming his people, bringing them out of bondage into a new relationship with him. And the timing of that was God's plan and purpose, that Jesus would die at the Passover in remembrance of that and in fulfillment of what God was doing. There, there are many scriptures. David, a thousand years before Jesus was born, the king of Israel, God made a covenant with him in 2 Samuel 7. God promised him that his seed, there would be a king on his seed for eternity. Jesus is the fulfillment of that covenant, got pro that promise that God made with David some thousand years before Jesus even came to this earth 
because God ordered all things. We talked about Psalm 139 earlier on about how God is, is ordered the things in our lives, how he knew us and formed us wonderfully in the womb, how he created us the way he did with the personalities that he created us and that he had planned our days even before we were born. God knew us before the foundation of the earth. You jump forward to Isaiah 700 years before Jesus, where the child king, the, prophet, the prophetic, um, Isaiah 9 verse 6, unto us a child is born, unto us, unto us a son is given. God's promise that um, Jesus would come to this earth 700 years before. In Isaiah 42, we have a picture of Jesus as the servant of the Lord coming to minister to his people. In Isaiah 53, we see him as the suffering servant, how he would be bruised and broken for us and, and how he would lay down his life for us. God had planned all right through to Jesus coming. It was all in his control, in his plan. If we come right to the Garden of Gethsemane, let's jump forward, uh, right to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, when Peter strikes the high priest servant, Jesus stops him. And says, do you not think that if I wanted to, I couldn't call down 12 legions of angels to protect me? Now, a, a Roman legion is 6,000 men. So 12 legions of angels is 72,000. So you've got 72,000 angels. In 2 Kings 19, one angel wiped out 185,000 Syrians in one night. Assyrians, sorry, in one night. I can't do the maths from there. But 185,000 times 72 is a lot. God had all power available to him. God could have intervened at any time. Jesus could have called on his father's name at any time. But he chose to lay down his life because he loves you and me. And because he wants to share fellowship with us. Uh, he wants to be intimate with us. He wants us to walk close with him. That sovereign picture, take comfort. We, I said earlier, you know, we, I, I saw one of the newspaper headlines this week and, and it was um, something about North Korea and its uh, missile, Trump and the mother of all bombs in Afghanistan. We live in an unstable and an uncertain world. But God's in control. And, and our lives are hidden in him. And we can trust in him. And um, I, I genuinely don't worry about those things. My life is in his hands. And, um, and that's true for each one of us if we put our trust in him, you know. We, we are in his, our days are in his hands. And um, he will keep us until that day when he's ready to take us home to be with him. And when he's ready to take us home, we'll go to be with him. I haven't time to talk really, but I hit 60 in February and... Um, one of the questions my pension advisor said to me was, how long are you going to live? Because <laughs> if you're trying to plan out what you need, you, you need to have an idea. Well, none of us know, do we? Only the Lord. But my comfort is that my days are in his hands and I can trust him and I can look to him. I find it amazing um, and just... Time's going, so we'll, we'll, we'll draw to a close on this point. But just to, again, to personalise and look at, look at Jesus. And um, I, I was going to...
give a bit more of an example from his life before he went to the cross. But as we see with Jesus, in all things, he was submitted 100% to his Father's will. Everything he did was seeking to bring into being the will of his Father on this earth. John 6 verse 38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8 29 says, I always do those things that please him. In John 4 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The context of that verse is, is the woman at the well in Samaria, at Sychar, and uh, Sychar, Sychar, and um, who was an outcast in her society. But Jesus was heading from, back from Jerusalem to Galilee. And it says at the beginning of the chapter that he needs must take a detour into Samaria. And he went to Sychar that he might meet this woman who came to draw water from the well at noon, because, which was the, the last time of day that you would want to go and draw water because it was in the absolute heat of the day. It was a most difficult time to go. But she could only go then because she couldn't go when, when the rest would go because she was an outcast. She'd had five husbands. But Jesus went aside, travelled through the heat of the day to meet this woman that he might save her. And the disciples had gone off into, into the town to get food. Jesus was spent. He said physically he was spent from the day. But he was out to do his father's will. Which was to reach this woman. And bring her into relationship with him. So when the disciples came back. And they brought food and they told, tried to get Jesus to eat. He says well. Uh, that he then quotes this verse, my food is to do with the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. They thought somebody else had brought food for him. But actually what he was saying was, I'm about my father's will and he comes first in all things. And, and, and I just want to ask you about that. I, I was teaching back at, at church on the way recently and, and the pass we're working through Luke's gospel and the passage I was given was Luke 6 verses 46 through to 49. 46 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? And then he goes on to, to talk about the man who built his house upon the rock, as opposed to the one who built his house upon the earth, as it says in there, because it's the Sermon on the Plain rather than the Sermon on the Mount. But I was really challenged by that personally. Why do we call him Lord? But sometimes we run our lives. We rule our lives. We do the things that we want to do. When we see with Jesus so tenderly how there at the woman of Samaria, how he reaches out to those in need. As we've seen in the, in the illustrations we've looked at tonight, Jesus goes to Peter and restores Peter. What, what a, a moment that must have been for Peter, who was truly repentant as Jesus restores him. Earlier, Jesus said to him, Peter, Satan's asked to sift you, but I'm praying for you that your faith will hold. And when you return to me, go back and encourage my brethren. Peter was very much in Jesus' heart. And now after his resurrection, Jesus goes to him and encourages him 
and completes that restoration and, and sets Peter back on ministry and sends him back to encourage the brethren, the two guys on the road heading away from Jerusalem. But Jesus meets with them and then he reveals himself to them and they head back with great joy. We said earlier the resurrection is, is so fundamental to us as Christians. The change in these guys proves they met Jesus. It's a, further, it's a confirmation to us of the meeting in Jesus. Because from being fearful and worried, they became transformed because they met Jesus after his resurrection. They knew the truth of the resurrection. The guys met him on the road. And over those next 40 days up to Jesus' ascension, we see Jesus ministering to them, but spending time away, teaching them in that period that they're to walk by faith, not by sight now. They needed to see Jesus. And he came to them and he met them at that point of need on resurrection day. But over the next weeks, they learned to trust him. And to walk in him. One of the things you look at when you look at Jesus, he was absolutely trusting in his God. He knew his father. So much so that he went to the cross. Are we the same? Are we trusting in Jesus? Are we willing for us to be spent? Are we willing to give our best at all times for Jesus? Or do we find excuses? Reasons why we should chill, rest, Focus on other things. Or will we put him first and look to him in all things? He is worthy of the very best that we can bring. There was a, a story, in, in there, there is a story in Acts 5. You remember when the, the apostles had been imprisoned and they were brought before um, the, the chief priests and the elders. And, um, and basically the chief priests were trying to shut them up because they were teaching about Jesus. And, uh, and Peter speaks on their behalf and says, we should obey God, not men. And he goes on to accuse them of, of sending Jesus to the cross and explaining to them that Jesus' death and resurrection has paid the price for our sins. And understandably, the chief priests are in uproar at what they're hearing. But Gamaliel says to them, be careful. There was a guy called Theudas, who drew a group to him, 400 men to him. But when Theudas died, it died, and they disbanded. There was another guy called Judas, who again got a group of men behind him, following him. But when he died, it all ended. But with Jesus, and, and Gamaliel's words with them, to be careful that you find yourself fighting against God, because if you're fighting against God, you can't win. Jesus died, but he rose from the dead. And then he ascended to his father. The disciples knew that he rose from dead. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them released them into ministry. And we might not be the perfect church nearly 2,000 years later, but we're proof that Jesus rose from the dead. And he continues to change lives. And actually, in the world around us, the church is growing faster than it's ever grown. We don't think that here, do we? Because sadly, back in England, there's, there's a real hardness to the things of God. There's a contentment with the things of this life. There's um, a constant media push to us to 
to live a secular life, to, to trust in, in man and man's goodness, although I don't know how they can possibly defend that position. But, but that's the world, that, that's the, the nation that we live in. But around the world, millions are getting saved and coming to Jesus. God's not just hanging on for a few, he's, he's lead, saving many. And um, one day, the hope, the assurance that we have will be fulfilled and we will go to be with him. We will meet with him. We will spend eternity with him. Don't ask me how to explain that and describe that to you. But I can only imagine it would be amazing because as we think of the creativity and the wonder of our God, um, and we're going to be with him and we're going to fellowship with him and he loves us individually, intimately. So much so that he would go to a cross to die for us. We are the most blessed of people. Today we celebrate that, but we celebrate that every day, don't we? Every day is resurrection day when we know Jesus. But we have a gospel, a message that our community desperately needs to hear. Because in such an uncertain and sad world, such a lost world, we have the words of life, the words of truth in Jesus. And we can introduce them to a personal relationship with a living saviour who longs to fellowship with them and give them of his best. So Jesus, you know, cruel death, resurrection day, he's out ministering, working his way around those that need him. As you said at the beginning, taking those hours to walk down that Emmaus road to spend that time He's always available to us and always ready to minister to us and to speak to us. I pray the Lord will bless you and encourage you from his word. I'll hand you back to you. Thank you. Bless you.